how am I going to be received? What are people going to think? How am I going to be received within the firm? How are other practitioners going to look at me? Like, and I'm a woman. For me, it was just a, okay, I'm going to have to get so crystal clear about who I am and who I'm not and know and be able to discern what is noise and what is truth, period. And I had to surround myself with people that I trust to tell me the truth, period, end of story, because Sometimes the noise is so loud, you can't discern it. Hey, my name is Stacey Havener. I'm obsessed with startups, stories, and sales. Storytelling has fueled my success as a female founder in the toughest boys club, Wall Street. I've raised over $8 billion that has led to $30 billion in follow-on assets for investment boutiques. You could say against the odds. Yeah, understatement. I share stories of the people behind the portfolios while teaching you how to use story to shape outcomes. It's real talk here. Money, authenticity, growth, setbacks, sales and marketing are all topics we discuss. Think of this as the capital raising class you wish you had in college, mixed with happy hour. Pull up a seat, grab your notebook, and get ready to be inspired and challenged while you learn. This is the Billion Dollar Backstory Podcast. I got an email from a friend of mine who leads the investment team at one of the most successful RIA firms in the U.S. He said, I heard you were meeting with Heather, our CEO, quote, who incidentally is one of my favorite people in the world and a fantastic leader, end quote. That was almost a year ago. I have had many conversations and interactions with Heather Fortner since, and I'm honored to have her in the podcast studio today. Thrilled to invite you into the conversation. Heather Fortner is the CEO and chair of the board at Signature FD, an RIA based in Atlanta with over $6 billion in AUM. Heather has worked at Signature FD for over 20 years. That's right. She's been at one firm for over 20 years and has grown from a client service associate to CEO. Her story will inspire you. She joined SIGFD when they had 250 million, has been instrumental in the firm's growth to over 6 billion, and will lead the firm forward to their goal of 10 billion by the end of 2025. Heather has won numerous awards, CEO of the year, most admired CEO, Titan, and for all her accolades and all her achievements, she is one of the kindest, most genuine people I've met in this business. Heather shows us all that you can go from an entry-level employee to the CEO seat. She shows us that trying things is how you grow, and it's okay to not be good at something. She shows us that true leadership isn't perfect. It's progress and it's real. So to my friend, Tom, if you're listening, you were right. Heather is a fantastic leader and she's quickly becoming one of my favorite people in the world too. Without further ado, meet my friend, Heather Fortner. So Heather, this is an incredible joy for me. Almost 
outside of the fact that you're on the podcast because I love to spend time with you. And so this is a gift. And I loved, I mean, besides all the tech blah blah that we were dealing with in the green room, I love that we just reached a point where we're like, you know what? Let's just hang out and talk and who cares? So everybody, that's what you're going to get today. You're going to get Stacy and Heather hanging out and talking and you get to be a fly in the wall. There's nothing better. That's right. Those are the best. The best. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. We have to start with my favorite thing. And that's story backstory. And I know you have an amazing one. And I'm going to let you kind of take this in any direction you want. What I've found is when I give people the floor on backstory, I mean, you can go as far back to like what you thought you wanted to be when you grew up and kind of pull forward. Like what was the unique part of your journey to becoming CEO of one of the best RIAs in the country, Signature FD? It's crazy. It's still funny for me to hear people say that. It's like, what? That's what I do? That's nuts. How did that ever happen? So my dad was in finance growing up. My mom was in nursing and medicine. And so literally when I went to college, I was a double major, business major, and chemistry biology. I wanted to be pre-med. I know I I did all this medical mission work growing up and then did, my mom worked in the OR. And so when I was 17, I did a internship with a general surgeon where literally it was amazing. They just gave me a pager. And every time that surgeon went into surgery, they called me and I would just meet them at the hospital and go in and watch these surgeries happen. It was phenomenal and I loved every minute of it. And so my belief was, you know, I'm going to get a medical degree. I'm going to change people's lives. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to travel the world and do all this mission work, but I'm going to be smart about it. And I'm going to have this business degree so that I know, you know, how to run a practice and do all that kind of stuff. And in college, you know, doing all the things and couldn't do organic chemistry. I mean, seriously, can I ask, what is organic chemistry, please? It's like how all the elements come together to make things. And I don't know for the life of me, I like my brain just could not process organic chemistry, but it's one of those things. Like every pharmacist you ever see is a genius in organic chemistry. And I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And so that was one of the things that I eventually had to, I mean, I must've taken organic chemistry like three times. You know, I'm not accustomed to not being able to do something. So it was like, but I've got a goal and I'm going to get it done. And I literally couldn't do it. And so there was a moment in time where I really had to sit down and, and, you know, I give my dad credit for this because my dad always said, hey, listen, you know, once you once you graduate from college, hey, kid, like you're off the payroll. You got to be able to pay your bills and support yourself here. So six years in, I was like, I just got to get this degree. I can't fight with organic chemistry the rest of my life. And so I got my degree in finance and was working, was working my way through school. And I was talking to my therapist one day and he was like, listen, listen, the whole point of why you wanted to do medicine was because you wanted to help people. There are other helping professions that can have impact in people's lives. And so 
I had, you know, still been studying on my own time, took the MCAT and was like, okay, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to apply to medical school and I'm going to apply to counseling to, for a degree in professional counseling and whichever one I get into, that's the way I'm going to go because they're both helping professions. I can make this work. And so I did not get into medical school and I got into the professional counseling program at Georgia State and started doing that at night. I had just started at Signature FD as a client service associate and literally still was thinking, you know, this is just my day job. I'm just paying the bills. (laughs) Like I'm my side hustle, you know, I'm going to go get this degree and then I'm, I'm just going to be done. And what I found was that I loved the work and very quickly after I got here, the SEC said all registered investment advisors have to have a chief compliance officer. And me in my naivety was like, well, I can do that. I'll raise my hand. Like, I just don't want to be bored. Like, just let me learn <laughs> some new things. And so went and got some training, became the chief compliance officer. And from there, you know, that was a boardroom seat. And so from there, really got into the inner workings of how do we grow this business? How do we run this business? Like, what are we doing? And that's really where once I graduated with my graduate degree, it was just this beautiful marrying. You know, I had a decision point to make of, am I going to go pursue my doctorate and be a clinical counselor? Or am I going to try to find a way to combine this training in finance with this training in humankind? And that, that was just, that was where it ended up. And I've loved every minute of it. Oh, I love that. I love it. Such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I had I have so many like sort of light bulb moments for me as you talked, of course. One of which is chief compliance offer seems daunting, not after you've taken organic chemistry three times. <laughs> you were like, compliance, bring it on. Do you know what organic chemistry is? I'm going to make compliance. <laughs> I cannot put a molecule together but I can put some documentation together. (laughs) So that was one thought. The other thing, and this has also been a really interesting theme in almost every conversation I've had on the podcast, which is the people who really love what they do in this industry, to me, seem to have both right brain and left brain sides that are very, very developed and in tune and working together. And I think the perception outside of the industry, maybe even inside the industry, is that, you know, this is all left brain logic. These are mathematicians and scientists and people who think, you know, very analytically. And that's true, but that's not all. We are ands, not ors. And I think your story, gosh, I mean, there were so many ands to that story. I love it. Thank you. It really says a lot about who you are and how hard you worked to get to the seat you're in. It also says, if we're being honest, I think it also says there were a couple of things that I recognized about myself. I didn't have the plan. I think that that is just like, 
I don't want anyone who ever hears anything about me to think that I had this all planned out and I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. There were two things that I figured out very early on. One was that I was my worst self when I was bored. And so because of that, I was willing to do anything. I just was willing to learn anything, do anything, because I did not want to be my worst self. That was one thing. And then the second thing was just because I'm a high performer, I feel like the world was my oyster, right? It was, well, I like all of these things. It was so much easier for me to figure out early the things I didn't like than it was for me to figure out the things I did like. And that freedom, right? And making those mistakes and learning those two lessons by the school of hard knocks, I think has given me a framework, you know, to step into these new roles where these roles didn't exist before I got into them, or I've never been a CEO before. Like, I don't know how to do that. But the backstory of, well, but I know what I don't want to do. And I know I don't want to be bored. So I'll learn whatever I need to learn. Gave me the freedom and the ability to just, I don't know, dive in head first and get wrong what needed to, needed to get wrong and get right what I needed to get right. You know, I love that you shared that. I relate to that so much, of course, because every conversation we have, I'm like, yes, we're living the same life. But, you know, it's funny. I think that idea of not having the plan, but of knowing what you don't like, that's really tough. You know, when somebody says, well, what do you want to be or what do you want to do? You know, those questions are really tough, like lifelong questions for some of us. But knowing what we don't like is at least a starting point. And being okay with not knowing the plan. Similar to you, and we've talked about this, like I didn't think I wanted to be in investments. I only took it as a day job to save money so I could pay for college. Same. Thought I wanted to be a professor. Same. And look, here we are. We're both here. We're both killing it. We both love it. And we never would have written that story if someone had asked us before we ended up here. Exactly right. And now we get to write it the way we want. And that's so exciting. And I think for me, part of the beauty of that in having young girls at home now is I don't want to put that pressure on them, right? I want to create that safe space for them where they can try a lot of things and decide this isn't what I want to do, right? And the earlier that I can get them started in that of just, hey, you want to go try this? Let's go try it. Let's see what happens. You know, teaching them that muscle that if they try something and they fail or they don't like it, it does not diminish who they are. Oh, that's so good. And also, by the way, your organic chemistry part of your story is really important. It's really important because you know what? What happens a lot of times when people tell their story, whether it's to other colleagues in an industry, on a podcast, or their kiddos, is they edit out the bad parts. I'm using air quotes, which of course no one can see, right? They edit out the messy. And they think that that's like, oh, you know, here, I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to, I don't need to tell that part. 
And what happens when we do that is, and you acknowledged it when you said, I didn't have a plan. When we give them just the perfect polished bio, people are like, oh my gosh, like I can't connect with her because I'm not perfect. That's right. Or, I mean, it's like, are you making your life Instagram worthy or not? Right. And it's, and the reality is I'm just not Instagram worthy. And, you know, one of the ways that I've seen this play out is my daughter, Oakley, who's six, is very much like me, very tightly wound, you know, very competitive, doesn't like to lose. And so what I was noticing in her was that if she thought she wasn't going to be able to do something perfectly, she wouldn't even try. Oh, yeah. And I thought, you know what, I've got to start teaching her how to fail well. And that is one of the things that we, you know, want to do here at Signature FD as well. So I can't bake. I can't bake for anything. It it does not matter. I literally cannot bake. And so I was like, you know what, here's what we're going to do. Every weekend, we are going to make macarons. Now, I don't know if there's any people out on the call who are culinary experts, but a macaron is a incredibly difficult cookie to make. And I was like, I'm going to pick the one that I know I am going to miserably fail every time. And we did. We must have made every Saturday, every Saturday, over the course of several months, we must have made, I don't know, 50 batches. (laughs) And they were horrible. They never got good. They were ugly. I mean, they got better. Like I got the right mixer. My husband literally got me a private macaron baking class so that I could like, (laughs) like we went all in and every time, you know, they would come out of the oven and, and they would look right or they'd fallen or they were sticky or whatever. It was raining outside and you don't make macarons when it's raining outside and all the things. And my daughter got to a point, we would have the conversation of, you know what, Oakley, Practice makes progress. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes progress. And you know what? We didn't get them right and I'm a little disappointed, but you know what? I'm going to keep trying and we'll keep working at it. And for me, you know, for me, it was just, oh my word. If I want my daughter to really believe this and take this into the core of who she is, I have to be authentic with myself as well. And how often, how often am I telling myself, you got to be perfect because everybody's looking. You can't make any mistakes. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. Since our founding in 1989, we believe that alternative investments are integral part of client portfolios. Unfortunately, delivering high-quality hedge funds and private market exposures has always been a challenge for the wealth management industry. These type of alternative investments introduce unique challenges related to taxes, qualifications, paperwork, and reporting. As a result, high-net-worth investors tend to be significantly underallocated to both hedge funds and private markets relative to institutional investors. That's Stephanie Lang. Chief Investment Officer from Homrick Berg, an $11 billion RIA headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, that serves over 2,700 clients in 46 states. 
You can tell they believe in helping high net worth clients access hedge funds and other alternative investments. They are equally as passionate about broadening that access for all their clients, not just qualified purchasers or a select group of accredited investors. Meet Nick Darsh from Ultimus with some backstory. Hallmark Berg created a 3C1 fund in January 1999 to provide their high net worth and institutional investors with ready access to a diversified portfolio of hedge funds. As interest in the fund grew and the constraint of the 100 investor rule loomed, HB began exploring ways to continue expanding the investor pool without negatively affecting existing shareholders. We'll hear more about the creative fund conversion work that made it possible later in the show. Now, back to the program. Yes, especially in your role as CEO. Yes. A lot of eyes on you. Yes. And you know, I love that story. And if there are any bakers listening... I need help. Yeah, you can send your <laughs> tips. We are taking all the baking tips. How have you kind of squared, if you will, and it's fine to say you're still on the journey because starting over on that question and don't edit it out because we're here for the real. Okay, how have you squared going from like chief compliance officer, chief operating officer, all these very process system behind the scenes a little bit roles to now you are the face of the company as the CEO, chair of the board, and you do have all these eyes on you. And especially in an industry where people are like, oh man, you do not want to like you know, you got to be in the suit, you got to, you know, there's a part to play in the investment world. How have you squared that ability to stay authentic? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And um, I think there are a couple of answers. One of them is, let's also be real in that while my career was built building infrastructures and teams and technologies and uh, regulatory compliance, I'm also not an advisor. I'm also not a CFP, right? So my whole professional career, like I am sitting here leading a firm of people that I have not sat in their seat and they haven't sat in mine. And in our industry, that is unheard of. It's just unheard of. I don't know many other CEOs of registered investment advisors who have not at some point in their career been a CPA, a CFP, an advisor of some sort. And so when you talk about pressure and you talk about how am I going to be received? What are people going to think? How am I going to be received within the firm? How are other practitioners going to look at me? Like, And I'm a woman. For me, it was just a, okay, I'm going to have to get so crystal clear about who I am and who I'm not and know and be able to discern what is noise and what is truth, period. And I had to surround myself with people that I trust to tell me the truth, period. 
end of story because sometimes the noise is so loud you can't discern it. And sometimes having those people that you can go to that you know are truly objective, that can look you in the face with love and say, hey, listen, here's the thing. That's invaluable. It's invaluable to figuring out how you're going to stand authentically um, in who you are and who you're not and lead as you were created to lead. Gosh, I love that so much. There's always this moment in the podcast where I just, whatever like the guest says is so good that I just want to throw my own mic, (laughs) like mic drop for them. That's what I want to do right now. I mean, that is so good. There's so many levels to that. What fabulous advice. And it's so interesting, the things that you pointed out that like in your seat, you're like, you want to know what's challenging for me? I've never been an advisor and I'm leading a team of advisors and I'm building an advisory firm, having never been in their shoes. Like those are things I wouldn't have even thought of. But yet, here are challenges that you're facing and trying to figure out, well, how do I lead authentically with some of these obstacles that I that I really feel? I also love the acknowledgement, and you didn't share it as advice, but it is advice, that we all need somebody in our circle that can call us on our crap. That's right. That can call us on, what is this? With peace and love, as you said, But you can't just surround yourself with people that are high-fiving you all the time. I'm a big high-five person and I'm here for it. But like you also need someone that can tell you when, hey, like what's going on here? I see this and is this what's happening? Let's talk. That's right. So great. So amazing. You know, I have to tell you something. When I was prepping for this podcast... So this is going to tie back to what you said about being a a female executive. So I was prepping for this podcast. I'm like, you know, know, I've known Signature FD for a really long time. By the way, your office is one of my favorite offices, just the physical space. I love it so much. We might have to talk about it before we break. But I went on your website. I was like, let me just see what's new and what they're talking about over here. And there were so many things I was vibing on. Not the least of which was the quiz. So I did the quiz. I don't know if I actually like hit complete. So I'm like, ah, there's going to be like, what is she doing? She just completed a quiz. <laughs> but so I did the quiz because I wanted to talk to you about who you serve. And I was like, wow, this quiz is kind of all these identifying questions. And at the end of the quiz, what I loved is you gave me a choice to select like what type of group do I identify most with? And one of those groups, I believe, was female executive. Can you talk about that? So do you, the whole quiz was fascinating, A, and people should really consider this. It's a great, fun kind of way to, you know, qualify and better serve your target market. But do you have specific teams of advisors within SIGFD that serve different target markets? Can you talk about that? I love that idea. Yeah, we do. And I'll tell you, how that came about was incredibly unintentional. In the very beginning, when I joined Signature FD at the beginning of 2003, we were about 250 million under management. And, you know, when you're 250 million under management, I mean, you're taking everybody, right? Like you're just trying to to get the business off the ground. 
What we realized when we made our first female advisor hire in 2008 was that we had brought someone who had enormous experience into the firm and she was very, very passionate about serving women. And so we said, oh, you know, that's very interesting. Like she's got a niche, she's got a community. We want to try a lot of things and, and see what happens there. Fast forward several years, we did our first merger and that team, two of those advisors had niche markets. Their entire books were in serving corporate executives and attorneys. And so we brought them in. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it was like, oh, wow. Okay. We're starting to see a trend and add in and everything in my head works like, you know, a math work because I can't do molecules. Right. But Math formula. So the third piece of that was that our advisors who had been here all along, their books had started to transition to the types of clients and communities that they were a part of. And so we saw this just like natural evolution happening where very clearly advisors were starting to build their businesses in specific communities. And you talk differently to a professional athlete than you to a corporate exec, than you do to an entrepreneur, than you do. And in our world, in our belief, the belief around community and the belief around belonging is that it is critical to who people are and that you treat people with the respect and what they want to hear and how they need to hear it and how they need to be communicated to. And so that's where the evolution of our niches came into play. And what it has blossomed into is just this really beautiful way for people who join Signature at the across the entire firm to experience different communities of people that they are passionate about and then build their careers serving those people because they all have different needs. So we are going to park on this one for a while because there's a lot here that I love. You know, I think one of the challenges for most companies in our business is the idea of kind of owning a niche or owning a target market. People don't want to do that. They want to cast the widest net. It's like, look, I'm just focusing on retirees. And it's like, okay, that is just, that's not, it's very hard to say something specific when you don't have an identified community or niche and you don't understand their specific problems, how they speak, all the things you said. That's so great that you were able to see it happening early and sort of lean into it. What I find also super interesting is that you are now over 6 billion. What's your AUM today? Almost 7 billion. Almost 7 billion. So think about this. What you've built, and I love that it wasn't intentional, is basically a collection of boutiques inside of a boutique RIA. You now have these teams that are almost like little standalone boutique businesses serving a very specific target market. And they get to have, as you said, kind of a team that, you know, really loves that target market, really understands it and build that business inside of the amazing infrastructure and support system that you've created at Signature FD. That is how you scale independently independently. 
and cohesively and authentically because you're letting people be themselves. Yes. And can we talk about for a minute why people, so here's where I go all counselor on you, why people are afraid of that, why advisors are afraid of that. I believe that many times there is a mindset of scarcity rather than a mindset of abundance. And we're always afraid of what we're going to miss out on versus having the confidence and the belief and the faith in how good we are that a whole new world will open up if we actually take the time you know, to be super intentional about that one thing. I agree with that. It's that idea of attract and repel, you know, because the group that's serving professional athletes, they know what their dream client DNA is. That's exactly right. And if a big fancy CEO comes to them, they're like, sorry, I mean, you're a great person. It's no harm, no foul, but that's just not who we're built to serve. We serve athletes. They have very different problems, needs, you know, all the things versus an executive. And so from a marketing perspective, the content that that team is going to create and is going to be incredibly different than somebody serving, you know, females in finance or whatever it is, right? So I think it's such an important lesson for advisors who are boutiques to think about. I obviously, you know, think it's critical for the other side. The asset managers need to get really specific on who they serve, but it's a great lesson. And it makes me think about some things I've read and I know I've talked to you about. Your goal is to get to 10 billion. And what's interesting, am I right that you are totally independent or have you taken private equity money? You have not. I didn't think so. And that's rare right now. Because there's so much money sloshing around and so many people who want to get, you know, into the RIA space. Can you talk about it? Are you at liberty to talk about just your decision to remain independent? Yeah, sure. When I became CEO in 2020, one of the things, so obviously I am G2, I'm a successor in the organization. But one of the things that was critically important. You know, I I did my first hundred days and I interviewed everybody and I did all the listening and um, the conversation from everyone, the one thing that every single owner, and we had, you know, 54 owners at the time was equity, the transition of equity. This is basically the financial succession of the firm. How is the financial succession of the firm going to happen especially in a market where valuations are so high. And so that was a year-long work in progress within the organization of, you know, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be? What matters to us long-term? What do we want for our clients? What matters to us in a resource capacity, in a service line capacity, in a quality of life and culture capacity. And ultimately, the best way that I know how to articulate the vision of our board, which this is one of the reasons people ask me all the time, you know, I can't believe you've been somewhere 20 years. And it's like, here's the reason why. Here's why. If you laid it all out, here is why. Because as independents, 
We have the ability as a group of owners to make the best decision for our team and our clients, regardless of if it is the best decision financially for the firm. And that flexibility to be of humans first and of profit second, just the flexibility to do that and to have that and to say, you know what, we could make more money, but at the end of the day, it is more important to us to be about our team and about our clients. We want to retain that flexibility and that is the place I want to be. Yeah, that's so well said. So obviously, because you are leaning into these niches and these target markets, organic growth is going to happen. And I'm sure the stats would bear that out. But is that acquisition strategy, how you envision getting to 10 billion? Does that play a big role? I have to say, you know, in 2020, when I took over, just quick back of the napkin math was that if, if we grew at 20% year over year, we could get to 10 billion. I mean, that it was just that easy, which is not easy. Let's be real. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's easy, which is not, yes, yeah, that simple. It was simple math in the sense of, all right, what does that mean? How much could we hit organically? Are we incenting the right behaviors in the firm? Are our people excited and motivated? What do I need to do in my new seat? And that has been almost, I would say, freeing for me in the ability to start to turn where I was probably my entire career with my back externally and focused internally to be able to just turn around and focus externally, all of that energy. It has been unbelievable when you actually start to lean in from a service perspective, from a community perspective, all of those things that we've always believed, but now I'm doing all the things, right? Because if we believe these things, and this is another philosophy I have, which is like, just experiment. Don't be afraid to experiment. Do small experiments and whatever works, do more of that. And whatever doesn't work, just don't do that. And so for me, it was like, oh, well, okay, we believe in community. I'm going to go get involved in community. I'm going to go do a Leadership Atlanta class. I'm going to go figure out how does Signature FD better serve the community of people that we are in the neighborhood with. You wouldn't believe what's come out. I mean, it's just... Isn't that crazy? It's unbelievable. And I sometimes sit back and think, man, I wish everyone felt the freedom to simply go in and serve well. Because out of that service, and by service, I simply mean involvement in the community in a measurable way. You do that and you stick in there and you do that you know, time after time after time after time. That's where relationship happens. And let's be real. People want to work with an advisor that they feel connected to, that they recognize in their own community, and that they have a relationship with. That is belonging. 
We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. When we first launched our internal fund of funds as a limited partnership, it was a great option for us to be able to provide 100 of our accredited and qualified purchaser clients with access to a diversified portfolio of hedge fund strategies. However, fast forward to 2016, our firm had grown to manage over $4 billion and serve over 1,000 clients of various sizes, accreditations, and tax situations. We still firmly believe that high-quality hedge fund exposure is important to client portfolios. It provides stability to client portfolios and generates a return stream that was not available in public and equity and fixed income markets. Unfortunately, the 3C1 structure with its slot limitations, high minimums, and K1 reporting was no longer ideal solution for our growing and complex client base. We looked at various alternative options with third-party hedge fund managers, liquid hedge mutual funds, but also discovered that we had an opportunity to register our fund with the SEC, preserve its extensive track record, and solve all of the issues that the 3C1 structure was creating for our business and clients. That's when we teamed up with Ultimus to begin the process of registering our legacy fund with the SEC and converting it to a tender offer fund. We'll hear more later in the show. Now, back to the program. Oh, that is so good. I'm going to throw my mic again. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I was chatting with a founding um, partner at one of our clients yesterday. And, you know, it was like, kind of like us. It was supposed to be like a 30-minute chat. And, you know, over 90 minutes later, we're still sitting there. And we've talked about this exact thing, which is when you work on an activity together, it does not matter what the activity is. It could be literally playing Legos or it could be, you know, building a house habitat for humanity or whatever. Whatever the activity is, when you work on an activity together, the connection and relationship happens so much faster, deeper, more levels to it, all the things. Just the act of doing something together. Absolutely. And so I think you hit on something that, Again, it's simple. It's not easy. It requires time. It requires support of your organization. I saw you guys were just out doing something as a group. I think Ronald McDonald House, you did something, right? I saw on social. Great job. But look at, like, that's how you build connection internally, but you can also build connection externally. It doesn't have to just be, like, go play golf and, you know, whatever we used to do in the 80s. I don't know. doesn't have to be that anymore. Um, Stacey, they're still golfing, by the way. Oh, they are? Well, I thought we moved past that. (laughs) (laughs) I've never golfed, so I've never been cool in this biz. Yeah, me either, but I I think I probably need to learn at this point (laughs) because it's still happening. (laughs) So can I tell you, I went through this phase in my career it must be the counselor in you that's got me talking now. So I went through this phase in my career where I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Like, it really hit me hard. I was really successful, but I'm like, I don't fit the mold. And, you know, you go through all these imposter syndrome things, but almost just like, oh my, I wanted to fit in more, I think. So I decided I was going to take golf lessons. And at the time I lived in Boston and I didn't have a car. I was like, okay, that's fine. There's like, this city golf thing. It was this tiny little hole in the wall. 
and underground and it had a golf simulator. And I mean, I've never played golf. So I decide this is how I'm going to learn golf. And I go and I do it and I'm horrible and I'm horrible. It's a different instructor every week. And I'm like, you know, this is not for me. This is just not for me. And of course, people are like, that's not golf. You don't golf like in a basement. And I was like, well, I was trying to learn. It's just not going to happen. I was like, it's just not for me. If you want to come and have a drink after and hang out at at a beautiful golf course, I'm so game, but don't ask me to hit any. I'm not going to hit them. I will drive the cart any day of the week. I will drive the cart and I will try, but it it is it is definitely not a skill of mine. <laughs> it's funny how that is such a linchpin, but it doesn't have to be. And I think that's the point. So if there's anyone else out there who's raising their hand, like I also am not a golfer, that's okay. I know lots of advisors who do pickleball or tennis or so you can find something else or you can go get involved in the community as a way to connect with people. And hi to all the salespeople of asset management companies who are out there trying to network all the time, go do something. Go get involved. Don't just like ask people to go out to lunch or whatever. Like go get involved and do something. I mean, this is a great example of how that can help you build any business. I agree. So so your question is, you know, are we looking? I think our answer is we are always looking for amazing advisors, especially if they are passionate about a certain niche that we've already created because we already have the teams, we've got the infrastructure, we've got the platform. And so, man, if you want to just serve clients well and you are passionate about a certain niche, like Signature FD is the home that you need to look into. I love that message. I hope people hear that message loud and clear. And so I don't know if, is there a way on your website to see all the niches or do you have to do the... Yeah, who we are, who we serve right there. Yeah. Okay. So go check that out. That is phenomenal. And again, I love this. I say this a lot in the asset management space. The sign of a healthy industry, of a healthy ecosystem is when the bigs actually feed the next generation, right? The bigs aren't competing with the boutiques. They're sort of taking their success and investing in the next generation. And I think you've created that. You've created a way where a larger RIA doesn't necessarily have to go gobble up everything or, you know, take private equity money to go scale and be the biggest and and whatever, you can actually build this collection of specialists and give them a home and a platform to continue to grow. That's different. That's really different. And I think for us, the beauty in all of that is that our belief is that Healthy families change the world. I love that sentiment. Financially healthy families change the world. And so we want to be a collection of individuals who bring our passions and our expertise, specifically in the financial world, to help families become financially healthy so that they can go change the world. Because if you have financially healthy families, that are changing the communities that they live in, 
that is how you make generational impact. And so being a platform for the people to go and do that and serve well and have a wonderful life integration and wealth creation opportunity uh, while doing that. I mean, that's just... That's awesome. I love that. Right? It really is. And I know you're not an investment person, but since I know some of your investment team really well, I have to ask this question. And this is not, by the way, there's no good or bad to this question that I'm about to ask because every advisor builds their practice and their firm differently. So I'm wondering how investment management plays into Signature FD. Do you consider it one of your differentiators? Like, hey, we're really talented at investment management and we have a team that's dedicated to it and they're thoughtful in building portfolios and we create differentiated portfolios for our clients, et cetera. Or is it more like investment management is kind of not one of our sort of edges or something that we really think defines us as a firm. I think you see flavors of that. You have some advisors who are like, you know, I don't want investment management to be like part of my my vibe. Like, yes, I do it, but I'm not leaning into it. And I just wonder how you think about it as a firm. Can we be an and? Like a partial in partial in both? You can totally be an and. Absolutely. So And this is Heather's belief. I don't believe that results, performance results, differentiate you. Oh, I agree with you 100%. As an organization, I believe there are hundreds and hundreds of very, very good organizations. There are a ton of them here in Atlanta, right, that are doing great work, that have great performance results. I believe that's a skin in the game. To be a quality RIA shop, I do believe investments are a core part of an entire, yes. Okay, that's what I was trying to get at. They are a core function of an entire financial design. So you best be as good as you can be, right? And we invest a lot of money. We have a fantastic team in being the best that we can be at that core pillar. But what we believe is that it is one piece of the overall design. And our belief is that wealth falls into four pillars. There's only really four things you can do with wealth. You can grow it, you can live it, you can give it, and you can protect it. And so thinking through, you know, helping clients think through what is the purpose of this wealth? What is the purpose of this bucket? Let's be sure that we have protected everything that needs to be protected so that you then have the freedom, that we have appropriate live assets for you for income purposes. Let's be sure that we have clearly laid out We incorporate voluntary and involuntary giving in the give bucket. So not only only your voluntary philanthropic desires, but what you're going to have to give away in taxes. Let's be real. You're giving, (laughs) right? Yeah, it's funny that that's in give, but yes, it's got to go somewhere. You are giving it away and you are giving it to somebody that you don't want to give it to. Let's be real. 
And then in your growth, right, that all of that structuring, that design frees you up to have less anxiety from a behavioral perspective around the things that are in your grow bucket. Because we have taken away anxiety when it's all mixed together and you don't know the purpose and there's not a great design. When you understand how your wealth is serving you from a behavioral perspective, you are much more able to follow a plan over the longevity of time that is required for that plan to be successful. And isn't that our real goal? 100%. Isn't that our real goal? Is to be sure to help our clients in the best way we possibly can to achieve the things that they want to achieve. Yes. And I love how you said, you know, the performance is not the thing. It's not. It's a means to an end. It doesn't differentiate you. The results, like whether or not you beat your buddy at the cocktail party, if your portfolio outperformed theirs, or if you beat the, it doesn't really matter. What matters is what you're trying to build, what you're trying to achieve, and do you have the right pieces, right pillars, as you said, to make that happen. What I love about your and comment is I think there's a perception for some advisors that it's like I either am a holistic financial planner or I am more focused on the investment side. And so if I want to be really into helping people live the life they want, maybe I'll find a way to just outsource the investment piece or just, I don't know, it's not that important. Let me just, whatever. And what you're saying is you can be both. You can specialize in all four of those pillars. And actually, if you want to build, you know, a $10 billion sustainable, you know, legacy in the RIA space, you need to be an expert in all four of those pillars. I think that's that's wonderful. And then as an advisor, if you don't want to go through what it takes to build the platform to be an expert in all four of those, you can come join a signature FD, do what you love and utilize the resources of the team. Exactly. And I think that's a really interesting point. You know, if I put myself in an advisor's shoes, kind of understanding what my options are for whether it's, you know, thinking about succession or how, like, what's the next gen Is that G2, by the way? Yes, G2, yes. Um, We actually have G2, G3. (laughs) We're on G3 at this point, so yes. Okay, so I love that. I learned something new. I didn't know that was like the... Generation, second generation. Generation two, generation three. I love it. Okay, so, I mean, I think that's brilliant. And I, I think it gives advisors another avenue that maybe they're not necessarily thinking about. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I hope people are inspired by what you're building at Signature FT. I'm inspired by all of it, what you're building, who you are, your your backstory, but also the future story and what you're creating. And I really loved the moment where you shared, you know, I've spent so much of my career with sort of my back external and facing internal, and now I'm pivoting. And I can tell you, you're doing a fabulous job. And it's very authentic and it's very real. And I'm cheering for you. Thank you for that. Yeah. I want to end with a couple of these questions. You've been very real and authentic. If you have time for a few of these, this is inspired by Proust Questionnaire, which helps us get to know you a little more. Start with the easy one. 
I think it's easy. I don't know. What book inspires you? Does not have to be a business book, by the way. Oh, it's the Bible. Oh, that's the first time that anybody said that on the show. Really? I love that you said that. Wow. Yeah, it's my go-to. Needs no explanation. Okay, so let's take it from book to place. What place inspires you? Like, what's your happy place? I am happy. So I have a 17-month-old. And we have a special little glider upstairs in the nursery that when I'm with my my girls, you know, reading or in some kind of, I'm just anywhere they are, being with them is, you know, it's my special place. I love that. And it's a moment in time, isn't it? It's a season and it's very challenging, but it doesn't last forever. And I love that you are acknowledging that. It is so fleeting. Yeah. And leaning in. I relate to that very much. Okay. Now a little bit of a fun one. So we're going to pretend that you, well, you are a rock star, but now you're a literal rock star. You're. Ooh, I love being a rock star. Yeah. Okay. So you're walking out on stage somewhere. Okay. You're going to give a presentation and they're going to play a a hype song, a walkout anthem for Heather. You're walking out to thousands of your screaming fans. What is the song that they play? She's a brick (laughs) house. (laughs) Is that awesome? (laughs) The fact that you sang it is the best. That is so good. I might have to require people to sing from now on. You can all call Heather and thank her that you will be singing on Stacy's podcast from this point forward. That was amazing. Oh, that's so good. Okay. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, yeah. Mm. I really have this thing. And one day if I retire, I may go back to school and, and do organic chemistry. I really mean I'm not kidding you. I I was going to say that's the answer to the next one. I'm probably going to take that class just to pass it one day in in my life. I'm just not usually okay with, um, you know, something besting me. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Have you read the book Lessons in Chemistry? Uh Uh-uh. Okay. So I read it this year, Lessons in Chemistry, when you're not reading books to the girls and, you know, running a company and all. And he's like, this is a good book for you. Okay, I'll write it down. Lessons in Chemistry. I think you would really like the main character a lot. Perfect. Okay, Um, so now I don't know what's going to happen on the next question. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, well, there's a lot of those. You know, I would not like to do anything on a big boat because I get really motion sick. (laughs) How about if it's a bakery on a boat? Is that like the worst? That would be the worst. No, no, <laughs> nothing on a big boat. I just, I can't do anything on a big boat. I can do a little boat, but not a big boat. <laughs> that is amazing. I love that. Okay. What do you want people to say about you after you've retired or left the industry? That one's very easy. So my mission statement for myself is to love and lead well. And that's what I want people to say that I did. She loved me well and she led me well. I think you're already doing it. And they're probably already saying it. I'm saying it. 
Yes, you do. You love and you lead well, Heather. Thank you so much for being here. This is one of my favorite podcasts I've done. I mean, I don't know if you can say that as a podcast host, but I just love how authentic and real it was. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you know a fund manager or a founder in the investment world with a great story, drop a note to Stacy at stacyhavener.com and tell me about it. Till next time, I'm Stacey Havener. Thanks for listening. And now, a final word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. The conversion of Hallmark Berg's LP into an integral fund empowered them to grow the fund from 90 million to over 200 million and expand the reach from 100 investors to nearly 700 new investors and continues to grow today. By pursuing the conversion, Hamrick Berg was able to lower minimums to 25,000, welcome accredited investors in addition to qualified purchasers. The entire conversion process was highly efficient because Hamrick Berg chose to partner with Ultimus and other partners with a proven track record in this type of structure-to-structure product transition. The headlines are often too focused on new interval funds from pedigree providers, this new fund from this cool big firm, etc. Maximizing a fund's potential through a conversion can be powerful too, as we see in the story of Hallmark Berg. Traditional investment management and alternative investment management are converging. More retail investors are demanding access to non-correlated strategies in illiquid asset classes to complement or supplement public markets exposure. Interval and tender offer funds offer managers a flexible wrapper that combines many of the benefits of both 1940 Act and private fund structures. Interest in these products has increased significantly in the past decade, and we anticipate the volume of both new launches and structure conversions to continue well into the future. podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any of the funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. Investment values may fluctuate, and past performance is not a guide to future performance. All opinions expressed by guests on the show are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect those at their firm. Manager's appearance on the show does not constitute an endorsement by Stacey Havener or Havener Capital Partners.